I don't um, shut up, Michael. That's my problem. I can see Jason trying to word very carefully. <laughs> he, he, he knows it's the all end. out of love. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I am regularly told to shut up, and, I, and, yeah. and thoroughly should be, Michael. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Escape Pod, Escape Technologies' new series of podcasts. This is Escape Pod episode four. Today, we'll be talking about remote support and remote technical support services for content creation studios and visual effects studios. As usual, I'll require some help and support from some colleagues. I'm joined by Mr. Lee Danskin, our Chief Technical Officer, and by Rob Drury, our Engineering Manager, who is, from a day-to-day point of view, responsible for delivering our support services to, to studio customers. And our special guest this afternoon is Mr. Michael Illingworth of VineFX. Hey, Jason, how are you doing? Good, thank you. Thank you very much for joining us. No problem. And um, I think what we'd like to do, first of all, is just cover a little bit about who Vine are. And um, if you could give us a little bit of history about uh, about Vine as a business, uh, the type of projects that you work on, and maybe some of the technology that you use to deliver those, just so we get a sense of um, of kind of who you are and, and what your support requirements are. Yeah, sure. Um, Vine Effects is my company. It started in 2007. We're a, a visual effects facility, but we sort of we sort of had many guises from having a big studio on Burner Street in London to uh, operating out of Leavesden Studios, doing in-house stuff for um, Harry Potter, uh, Fantastic Beasts. Um, and also at certain points, we've operated out of cutting rooms on individual shows, um, uh, doing shows like Crazy Head, um, Merlin in the past and a few others. Um, at the moment, we currently operate out of Cambridge, where I've lived for the last 20 years. Okay. And so, I mean, from what you're saying, it sounds like most of your projects are of a, of a long-form nature. So it's it's more drama, uh, TV and film than it is sort of short film. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, so we have done feature films in the past. Um, but at the moment, the, uh, the majority of the work that we do is episodic TV work. We are doing some other projects which are non-visual effects based, which are uh, building assets for Microsoft for a particular project that we're working on. But the majority of the stuff is visual effects, yeah. Yeah, okay. So, And you talked about Cambridge there. So that's quite an yeah. interesting part of the conversation because we're, we're obviously the focus here is, is remote support and technical support. Now, you had been London-based, but then to, to talk to us a little bit about what, what pushed you to move out to Cambridge. I mean, obviously, you've mentioned you lived there, but yeah. um, it must have been, you know, you must have needed to give that some thought in terms of bringing artists into a, a setup that was Cambridge-based. Yeah, the well, as I said, I've, I've lived here for 20-odd years, and I've always commuted into central London. I've always sort of enjoyed working in London, especially when I was younger and sort of had less commitments. But um, I, as I sort of progressed it was some it was a place I always enjoyed leaving um so I sort of I always like getting out of London getting to somewhere where it's a bit greener and sort of uh, there's a bit more space and and um you know I sort of I, I, I was drawn to Cambridge because my uh, wife was working up here um so we sort of decided on Cambridge as a place where we wanted to settle um the reason the company moved it was it, I, I'd like to say that there was a moment where I made that decision, but it was it was more organic. I was commuting into London and I, I thought I just want to sort of take a bit of time out. So I, I hired a one man room up in Cambridge. I took my flame, which I've had for a good 12 years. Uh, and I just started about picking up shots on little productions. This was about three years ago. And uh, fortunately, you know, I do have um, a skill which is doing compositing. So I'm able to pick stuff up and, and, and Vine can operate just as me if I need to. Um, 
the great thing was that, you know, as things uh, bobbed along, we sort of picked up a, a couple of projects and we, um, we took on a few compositors. And then I worked with uh, some artists I've worked with in the past who uh, helped us on shows like Patrick Melrose. We did Troy uh, and uh, a couple of other bits and bobs. Um, and then we got a contract, which was War of the Worlds. And so um, we had to expand the team. And that was the moment I decided to put some roots down in Cambridge. So um, we've always worked with escape and we then sort of went to uh, Lee and yourself, Jason and said, okay, we need to buy some kit. We need some bits and bobs. And uh, we've been here now for a good 12 months um, operating um, as a larger, more permanent facility in Cambridge. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. I mean, I think we've done, we've had a few conversations like this on the podcast series so far and, and lots of that naturally has focused on um, the pandemic scenario and how that's forced people to make certain decisions. Yeah. But, the interesting thing here about the remote support component is that you, you made that decision before that came 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 into play because you'd already moved out of London and presumably that meant that you had to consider could you be technically supported at a you know at a non London location essentially. I think it, that was never a question for myself. Um, we've been working with Escape Technology since, gosh, I think it was 2013. I, I, I do think we may have been one of your first customers or one of um, the first customers. It goes back um, a long time, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. and a, a big part of that um, arrangement was always a remote support. So we always realised that we didn't always necessarily need to have someone in the office for it to work. I mean, we've been using these tools for, for years now and sort of, if you can get someone on hand within a really short space of time to fix something and look at something, then that's great for us. And then we can go quiet for a, a bit of time and not need anything. And that's, that's the beauty of the support contract that we had. Um, again, when we sort of uh, moved to a more permanent office in, here in Cambridge, it was never a question. It was always a case of, well, th this works. And, um, the great addition that's come whilst we've been here is, is um, uh, you guys have offered a day of support on site as well, which um, obviously prior to the lockdown has always been really useful. Yeah, it, it was it was never a worry for me. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, that's that's good to know. And I mean, just playing devil's advocate for a second, why 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 use a, a an external support partner? Why not employ an engineer? I, <laughs> I sort of got pictures of me uh, sat in my room when I was playing with my flame when I first moved to Cambridge, and that the idea of having a support guy in the same room would have been quite comical. Um, <laughs> just, it's the ability to expand and contract to what I need at the time. As I've said, I've always in the past been project based, and the idea that we could then be you know two or three compositors in a room and a, and a matte painter or you know like we are at the moment we're sort of uh, 23 24 strong and a full team it, it, it's flexible so that's the main reason is i need that flexibility i like the idea of being able to uh, expand and contract as i need to and um that fits with um uh, using a third party yeah, it fits the nature of your business essentially, doesn't it? Yeah. I think, um, you know, it, it, whilst, you know, studios can employ, you know, engineering or administrator teams or individuals, you know, you then have a, you have a responsibility to those members of staff once they're on your books and that might not necessarily flex yeah. in quite the same way as, you know, as the rest of your business in terms of projects that go up and down in terms of volume. So yeah, I can, I can see the sense in that. So then yeah, what, what, sort of, what size team are you currently, Vine currently as we, as we speak now is, is how many artists, you know, and, and what sort of. Yeah. Uh, as I, I, as I've mentioned um, on LinkedIn, we are 100% remote at the moment for, for obvious reasons. And, 
the team is as big as it's ever been. We're we're up at sort of uh, 24, 25 artists, I believe. And that's that's majority of that is doing visual effects. But we've got a nice little team working with Microsoft who have a research facility here in Cambridge. So we're doing a nice little project for them, which is not dependent on, on, on filming. Right. Okay. And and in terms of those artists you've mentioned, what uh, applications, what technology are those are those people using? So we've got uh, compositors who um, are working with Nuke. Um, we have been dealing with the flame artist from time to time. Um, on the 3D side, we're using Maya, uh, Arnold, and we're also um, uh, using ZBrush and all lots of various other modeling production tools as well as um, as a bit of software which we use for making uh, clothes as well. Is it Marvelous Designer? Yeah, um, so a nice little variety. And then uh, uh, on the production side, our team are using Shotgun to uh, uh, keep everything uh, coordinated. So what about yeah. the sort of um, the distribution of those people geographically? Because that's quite interesting, isn't it? You've got artists in various places. They're not, I mean, it's not just the case that they're not in London. I think some of them are not even in the UK. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So, um, as I said, when we moved to Cambridge and the team started to expand as, um, a couple of artists I always enjoyed working with when I was in central London and sort of, we, we had conversations early on saying, do you fancy moving to Cambridge? And no was the answer. So, um, <laughs> we tried to work out a system that we could get them working remotely. So we've been looking at this for quite some time. So we've tried every sort of system, um, from, you know, sort of shuffling stuff up to Google, uh, or Dropbox or whatever, them downloading it and, and, and working, um, on the files and then sending them back. So, um, yeah, we sort of, um, to come back to your question, we sort of decided early on to sort of go with a Teradici um, a solution. But that mm. meant once we got that system up and running, there's some artists that we've worked with um, in the past, both in the UK, who've moved back to places like uh, Greece, uh, Bulgaria, um, France. Um, gosh, I think our animator last year was in Australia. Um, and then... Uh, places around the uk like guildford and rugby so yeah we're, we're here there and everywhere yeah so it's a pretty global distribution of talent isn't it which means that you've got a, a quite a lot of freedom in terms of where you recruit and who you hire and, and where they're based yeah it's it, that's always the case we just go for the people we like working with and and yeah. people who uh, we go for the talent yeah and we're sort of not restricted by um geography yeah it's nice to think that, that the technology starts to enable really human choices which is you know the technology yeah. offers a flexibility that gives you the ability to to take whatever talent wherever it might be yeah. um so so let's just before we move on to the technical guys at escape and ask them some questions i just you know it's fair to say isn't it that you you were in this position where you were remotely you were set up for remote working yeah. before the pandemic crisis emerged we um um we're very comfortable with the working approach, which um, I won't go into the details just yet, but it, it basically meant that we could have a machine in the office and then it didn't matter where the artists were, that, but they would have a machine that was in our machine room. They would have access to our entire um, uh, storage if, if they needed to and, and and entire access to our render farm. Um, so there was no sort of um, having to split things off into different uh, computers based in different locations, it was all centralised back in Cambridge. Yeah, and so so as as that as the um, the COVID nineteen crisis started to emerge and and deepen, mm. what was your perspective on that with respect to to Vine as it as it started to come to come to a head? Did you, were you did, was it just the case that you were 
fairly relaxed in so far as you, you knew you were set up to cope with that. Were there any changes that you felt you needed to make? Was there, was there anything that concerned you as that started to emerge? There was a sense that something was coming and that we should get ready for it. And I sort of just made the decision late one night and I sort of you know sent a message around to the team saying, look, okay, as of tomorrow, we're all working from home. And I think it was, there was a natural pause in our production and it felt like, okay, if we do this in a two or three weeks time, we're really going to be um, struggling with our particular de- delivery. So let's just get everybody shuffled off. Um, the, the one aspect of the uh, the solution that we were using, which is the Teradici, we, we had Teradici boxes underneath everybody's desk. I've always had this sort of ideal scenario that we'd have this um, beautifully silent studio without the whir and sort of hum of lots of desktop computers underneath everybody's desk. So that was sort of, We'd got that working internally, but then I realized, okay, you know, the same technology, we can just send people home. So um, there was a little bit of me loading the car up with monitors and um, Teradici boxes and keyboards, mouse and tablet. But in the space of about a day, a day and a half, we managed to get everybody up and working uh, remotely, which was, you know, I, w- I was expecting more problems. But, you know, the basis of what we needed was up and running within a couple of days. Um, I think uh, so. So the last question, then, really, and you sort of already answered this, is is before we kind of talk to Robin Lee about this a little bit. But yeah. you 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 said you didn't really have any concerns about getting remote support and and being supported, uh, given that you know you were going to be locked down and and be all the artists were remote already. You, you'd sort of trial you'd trial run that, and it was all all good. Yeah, we we sort of. We kind of knew what we were doing, so we we use Slack in the office as well. That's another sort of a little tool that we use. It's a bit more sort of direct than email. So we were. I, I, the comical thing last year was that you'd, we'd be chatting to someone in Australia at one point on Slack, and then we'd be chatting to the other person, a uh, person at the other side of the room, with exactly the same sort of means of communication. So I'd sort of be like, "Hey, Ped, how you doing?" and then. Hey Brett, how are you doing? And one's one's at the other side of the world, and the others, you know, sort of <laughs> ten foot away from you. <laughs> sort of. So yeah, rather than get up and actually speak to people in the office, we decided that you know you can sort of put your headphones on and hide behind your desk and not have to speak <laughs> to anybody. Sorry, no, that's that's not entirely true. But yeah, we were we were sort of very comfortable with our, our means of communication as well as the fact that the machines would work and and it was yeah the the, the boundaries the geographical boundaries weren't an issue. Good, great stuff. So, so this is a question for Rob, and um, bringing Rob into the discussion a little bit. Rob, you're our engineering manager, so your role is well. Tell me what your role is. That might be best. How, how does that? What does your day to day work look like from from that from a support point of view? Um, so, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm the engineering manager. Uh, I look after a team of about ten engineers at the moment. Uh, we seem to be expanding uh, with the amount of customers that we look after, which. Uh, Ranges from quite small one-man bands through to uh, yeah, me- medium to large-scale customers. So why why did we did Escape Technology start offering support services in the first place? I mean, why is it that the that the support team has become such a, a major focus? Well, initially, actually, funnily enough, started with Michael. Uh, he was our, one of our first support customers, and uh, initially started with just Lee and Ant, uh, and grown from there quite exponentially. Um, Michael had asked us to go in as a you know, technology partner to go and uh, advise on things, and I think it grew into actually installing 
maintaining and supporting all of the technology that we'd installed. And that, that's where we've tried to go from there is not, not just providing support for customers, but as said, working as a technology partner on yeah, where, they, they, where they should be going. So tell me, why does, why does a studio decide to choose Escape Tech as a, as a support provider, do you think? From my perspective, we have a a plethora of knowledge uh, ranging over all of our engineers. Um, And I guess from a a financial point for a studio, hiring what is essentially the salary of a single engineer and getting the experience of 10 engineers from Escape is uh, a pretty attractive prospect. And do you think there are, you know, are are we talking about studios of different sizes here having having different views on whether they want to employ people directly or not? Yeah, I think so. I think a lot of it is down to um, project work and uh, having somebody on site to be constantly doing that for the entire working week. Uh, whereas, uh, I guess, uh, the, the way that we support different customers is different. Some people do want just the sort of reactive support that we give and some do want the project base. So, I guess... You know, we've said to a couple of our clients in the past that, you know, you're probably at the point now where you could hire a full-time engineer and some of them have, and some of them have kept us on because they like what we provide as a support department. Yeah. And the spread of expertise. Mm. So how is that? Just, just give me an insight into how things have changed. Obviously we, you had an array of support clients pre-lockdown who, many of whom you were visiting on site with some regularity. And many of whom had contracts that 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 where that was a built-in component, you know, a certain amount of on-site time. What was the thought process around how that would be managed uh, with these, re- you know, these these reductions in our ability to move around freely? Uh, well, initially, I mean, it was obviously it took a lot of thought of uh, how we were going to provide any uh, site visits as they were before. We've now turned to remote site visits which are scheduled in as they would have been previously, but uh, it's more a case of spending that time uh, dedicated to doing any project work uh, for that customer. Okay. And um, and Lee, what's your view on that in terms of the way that the the support team was going to run and going to work with a a, a greater emphasis on remote support? How, How did you see all that shaping up? Well, the, the nice part is is that the business was in process with that already. Um, the, the remote working aspect of it was sort of semi-in-place uh, and Robert organised a really elegant schedule for sort of bouncing people through each part of the process. Um, the nice part now is is that, well, we're all remote <laughs> and um, we've got all the uh, necessary parts in place. So we use a lot of uh, remote software and we've got the licenses for that that we've been utilizing from day one. Um, you know, all of the businesses that we work with, we have some sort of remote access at a VPN level all the way through TeamViewer. We've even got dedicated hardware in certain locations that we do test work for people. So I think the business was in a good place anyway. It, it just sort of forced a lot of it to happen a lot quicker. Okay. Well, I guess from that perspective, you can say a lot of our work was done remotely anyway. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of like the, the reactive support we do is done through TeamViewer or VPNs. So it was only really the site visits that we needed to uh, shimmy around a bit. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And um, so could you give me a, an insight into 
you know, how you, because I think there's two types of work there, right? There's sort of ongoing support. What you, you used an interesting phrase there, Rob, which is reactive support, which I, I assume what you mean by that is something's gone wrong and there's a problem and it needs an immediate reaction. Um, yeah, exactly. Whereas there are other types of work that are more proactive in terms of what you might call sort of project work or maintenance, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when uh, when we onboard a customer or when somebody renews a support contract, uh, we try and sort of have an outline of where they'd like to go and what uh, what they'd like to get set up and installed. Um, and yeah, you know, obviously we have some suggestions as well for monitoring things that we we put in place. And um, yeah, from yeah project standpoint, it's uh, it's a lot easier to do when you're on site and uh, can focus on just doing that rather than as you said the reactive support um which is more thing doesn't work i need it uh up and running as soon as possible lee have you found that um that escapes level of support engagement with with studios has changed since the introduction of the the lockdown have you have you found that you've done more work overall for the support clients or or has it tailed off what's what's been the out what's been the impact of that it's actually made us, you know, from a technical point of view, we, we do the same day to day, whether we, when, whether we were on prem or not. I mean, we always want to make sure that the thing works, you know, right down to the desktop and the application, even you know, down to the Wacom working. So um, it's been a lot more dialogue between us and the customer. You know, uh, often it's the, the, could you reboot and you're going to have to let me back on. And we did a lot of that beforehand, but now it's even, you know, with contending with people's home networking scenarios as well has, has meant a lot more dialogue and a lot more um, investigation into what you would expect normally to be taken care of at some level. So we are doing a lot more of that. We are doing a lot more application help now as well, um, You know, pu- primarily purely because people are actually either working on their own system or whatever they're doing. So, uh, But generally, it's been pretty much the same. Can we just? There's quite an interesting comment there about people's domestic broadband. I think that's. Could you dive into a little bit more detail on that? I mean, what what have you found with in terms of the differences, and and what have you had to get involved in and troubleshoot where that's concerned? So we, you know, we've gone from one extreme to the other. Um, we've got people that have you know try, have been accessing their broadband on you know like four G and five G wireless systems from people like Vodafone and those type of solutions, which obviously come with certain issues with latency. We've got right through to the other end of the spectrum where someone's had a home broadband connection and they're trying to switch to a business broadband connection because they're tired of their dynamic IP address. You know, trying to get from that dynamic IP address to a fixed IP address makes such a difference. It's been a massive you know, learning curve for a lot of people. So the whole bandwidth issue and the the VPN issue and the performance of all that, that's really fundamentally become, you know, much more opaque in a lot of people's eyes. Yeah, okay. So, yeah, I mean, the the other interesting thing is this collision of business and domestic, which is that under the lockdown circumstances, people have got children at home using what would be a, a portion of the domestic bandwidth provision. Um, and you may have artists that are that are trying to work visual effects artists at home trying to you know trying to work within that same framework. I mean, Michael, have you have you found that any of your your artists working remotely have had to field that problem? Have they had have they had problems with their own you know domestic domestic bandwidth capabilities? Um, on the whole, I think the the, 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 the our artists' domestic bandwidth has been 
okay, you know, when they have dropouts and they have moments where their sort of monitors go pixelated. Um, like Lee mentioned, it was mainly the people's IPs changing. You're just, uh, I get about five of these every week. You know, so you get a sheepish little comment on Slack saying, uh, Mike, my IPs change. Can you, can you update that? And, you know, we update the IP and they're straight back on again. So, um, yes, I, I, I can see that at certain points of the day, I think people lose bandwidth. You know, I was going to say people come home from school because they're not even doing that, are they? But um, there are moments in the day where we tend to get a few issues and they all happen at the same time. I think that's the picture we're, that's emerging here. Have you found that, that, that the lockdown has... Has that changed the amount of support you've needed from from Escape as a support partner? Uh, yeah, it's sort of interesting what Rob said. I think that, that he will agree with um, me when I say a lot of what I've been requesting at the moment is that sort of emergency of, oh, goodness, something's completely broken and I don't know what to do. Uh, can you sort of jump on it? And, you know, nine times out of 10, that's often the case with Escape. You know, they can sort of jump on it or someone can stop what they're doing and they can kind of deal with with my rather sort of panicky uh, requests. Um, some of the longer term projects that we were in discussion with, um, Lee and Rob, we've had to park. I think we just want the most stable and the safest environment for our artists to work in. You know, the fancy bells and whistles can come later down the line. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. I wondered whether the emphasis had changed slightly, and it sounds like it has in terms of, you know, Rob spoke of that that division between sort of, you know, reactive support and ongoing maintenance and project work, and presumably some of the project work, you're, you're happy at the moment for that to take a back seat just in order to to ensure that the work of the studio is ongoing and, uh, you know, and, and, and running correctly. I think we all know that sort of the niceties that we bring into our pipeline and, and the things that we request often bring lots of efficiencies. And I think they're always, always good to keep an eye on those and sort of keep talking about those. But at the same time, yeah, we just, we just need it to keep running and, and maintain it. Do you, um, do you find it advantageous? We talked about the value of you know, a third-party support resource rather than employing someone directly. I mean, do you think that there's value in having a, a, a you know, the escape team is 10, 10 engineers or so, a wider array of expertise across different individuals? Do you think that served you well? Yeah, definitely. I, I was, I've worked at some big companies like CineSight and Millfilm and The Mill in the past, and um, I always knew which engineer was best at a certain type of work. And I, I do know, uh, because I've worked with Escape for so long, there are certain strengths with, with certain people. It's more about, you know, Michael, you know, coming to us, who likes to talk to about which issue, but we also know internally, you know, for, as the engineering manager, I love that we have such a great... Uh, set of strengths between all of the engineers and mm. you know both Michael knows and I will know as well who would be the best person for that job and that's yeah having such a broad range of talents within the team is such a great thing for well for all of us for our customers and for me as well yeah yeah and I think that sort of fits I mean you have got quite a few support um, engineers and that, that suits us down to the ground and there's often little threads running so there'll be a certain thing that's I don't know Maya base and you know it will, we, we'll need to get some hand on that uh, uh, some help on that oh, and there'll be someone who's really good with the farm and then we can always you know sort of pick up a support ticket with with a certain person who's great at getting the farm back up and running if it's broken or yeah you, I think the fact that there are multiple people there gives us the benefit that must be one of the benefits of having a team at, at your disposal, you know, rather than a smaller number if you were employing directly. But um, I guess also that it, it sort of comes full circle about why you asked me 
why did I sort of take a support contract with Escape? And I think that was probably one of the main features way back when. I, I, I was always, you know, if we'd have advertised for the, for a single engineer, I, I, you know, you would have been taking an engineer from one of the established facilities for one. Uh, and it's not just the support, but it's that one eye on what we need moving forward. So I think I've got an old uh, Teradigi card that um, Lee lent to me back in 2016. And I think I probably need to return that at some point. Uh, apologies, Lee. <laughs> but, I'm, um, sure, I'm sure it's been useful. <laughs> but you, you were telling me this was the future back in 2016. And I was like, okay, yeah, okay. I was based in central London at the time. I had no need from it. And then I sort of always remembered the conversations we'd had. We sort of tested it. And it, I was like, yep, looks great. I don't know why I need it because I'm in a room. I've got my machine under my desk. And what is the point? And then sort of four years later, I'm in this situation and I'm sort of counting my blessings that it works as as it was advertised. And I think that's the case moving forward to um, stuff that's on the horizon. I, I think... You know, you know, you have one engineer in the office, and that's one person's opinion. But I, I don't want one person's opinion. I want ten people's opinion, and I, I, I'll make the decision on what I think's best for me. Um, and it's just nice to know what's further down the line. And then that's backed up with, well, does this work? Well, yeah, we've got it in three facilities, and it's working out already. So you've got that confidence that um, that it's going to be okay. I think that was the other thing that was apparent at the start of the lockdown is, you know, I didn't quite know how to get my, my max, my production max up and running. So I, I sort of spoke to Rob on the phone and he said, well, I'll tell you what, I've, I've set up three VPNs this morning, you know, set up a VPN. Um, and you know, that should be fine for your, uh, your coordinators. So yeah, it was that combined knowledge of dealing with lots of people, maybe panicking at the same time that we benefited from that um, combined wealth of knowledge. Well, that was, it was quite interesting at the beginning of the pandemic that, um, you know, we, we had all of our, basically every single one of our customers email and say, I need to set up mm. all of my workers remotely, as you can imagine. Um, mm. And, you know, that puts you in a position where you're dealing with like five different types of firewall or routers. And, you know, whilst the, the theory is the same of setting up a VPN, it's a slightly different. So it was a very like interesting, you know, for us, the great thing about working with loads of different companies as well is that we get more hands-on experience with different types of technology that we might not have used as something that we would suggest. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point, Rob, actually. You've, you know, it's the, you're thrown into having to deal with bits of technology that, you know, we didn't supply that are in place that you need to understand in order to get something else to work that we're trying to support and, and install and troubleshoot. It's um, it's a bit of a baptism by fire for you guys quite a lot of the time, isn't it, really? Yeah, absolutely. But I honestly think that makes us better engineers. So yeah. going in, having to quickly, from first principles, like figure out what's going on, what needs to change, where the documentation is for the bit of hardware, software that we're trying to troubleshoot and uh, reach a resolution as quickly as possible. Yeah, and I guess that you would have done, yeah, it's a it's an aspect of onboarding a support customer, isn't it? Is it not that you, you survey first and, and take a kind of inventory of everything that's in place? Yeah, we try and do a tech audit um, as much as we can. Obviously, with some customers, it's uh, we have different levels of support contracts, um, some of them, it's, it's more relevant what we're supporting, but there are a few customers we have that have, you know, an MSP, IT consultant that they're working with that deal with a lot of the network stuff. And we're just there to 
deal with the software or the render farm. And, you know, we'll, we'll take our um, technical audit as to the parts that we're meant to be looking after. But that's not to say down the line that we can't then expand that into looking after everything. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so look, I think we're, we're kind of drawing to a close here, guys. But I, I have a couple of sort of future tense questions um, for everybody, really. I mean, Michael, particularly, what... Um, what about the future for Vine in terms of the, you know, you were already working remotely. So this question, we've had some interesting answers to this question from other studios on the, on the podcast, but you, do you think that the, the lockdown and what it's, what it's forced people to do technically uh, and, and even in terms of their working practices, do you think that's going to, uh, is there going to be a legacy that remains from that when, when restrictions ease? What do you think? Yeah, definitely. We're far more relaxed about people working from home. Maybe because we're all going through the same situation. People are sort of quite conscientious. I don't know. But but everybody, every one of my staff has, has delighted me in a sense of everybody's pulled together um, and everyone's conscientious. Everyone's at home trying to look after little kids and sort of different dynamics that we've got to deal with. So there's a natural flexibility we need to have with all of our staff and we're all going through this together so i i i think some of our staff might go to working remotely and i'll be fine with that and we will be employing more remote artists and i'll be fine with that as well i think lots of good stuff is going to come from this um obviously the it's a situation that's difficult for everyone but i think we've all changed the way we work and, and some of it for the better yeah, and what's your opinion on the on the kind of state of the VFX industry in the wider in the wider sense? Then, I mean, you know, we're obviously yeah. aware of the fact that shoots are not happening at the minute because of the lockdown. And is your view that once that restriction eases, that that the work will start to you know climb back up again? What do you think? The, the industry has lots of natural um, gaps in it. It's just the nature of the work. It's project driven. Mm. Uh, some projects last longer than others. It's going to be tough. I'll, I'll be honest with you. And, you know, I, I would be lying if I said I wasn't worried. So, um, you know, we've got projects in. We will keep those going for as long as possible. Um, but hopefully once people come back to filming, then, you know, we can sort of speak with our with our partners and see if they can bring stuff through a little bit earlier uh, yeah. and see what we can do to um, get ourselves back up and running. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you're on a... A very very good position to um to manage the the tough times as it were, given that you've got such a successful remote setup. Um, uh, Lee, what do you think about you know supporting people remotely going forward? Is that something we you expect to be doing more of as as the even as the restrictions ease a little bit? Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, the it, it's all out of the bag now. All bets are off. Um, you know, we've had companies from Michael's size all the way up to conversations that I've been having where they've got thousands of staff working remotely. Um, It's the new norm is the way that I'm going to view it from now on. We always had those small ones where there might be uh, some grading artist that only works from the south of France because he likes the flavour of wine down there. You know, there was always that those odd. That's a totally reasonable position to take, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. How do I get that job? <laughs> yeah, this is it. I, I want that job. But you know, there was always a, a, an instance where someone would want it. But now it's the norm. And us working remotely, you know, the more um, that we move towards, you know, co-location, which Michael looked at early on, and you know that that might become the norm for a lot more businesses 
we've obviously been dealing with a lot of cloud customers recently with our Sherpa product. So that's all remote. There is no physical on-premises at all. And we've got a lot of people that we're working with. I've never met them. I've never shook their hand. And all I, you know, we're doing major work for them. Um, so I see it more and more uh, the norm. Yeah, I mean, it's, that's a really interesting point in the sense that I think a support uh, support services as delivered by Escape Technology and numerous other businesses, I think clients are going to ask more explicitly than they ever did before. What can you do remotely? How much of this can you do remotely? In a situation where you couldn't physically come on site, can you still support us? I think people didn't really ask that question before because they didn't expect to be in that situation. But now we've all been through this. Everybody's aware that it could happen a second time, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think, you know, it's like I say, it is now just the norm and, you know, dealing with remote stuff. And and, and I think everybody's attitude and the way that people are viewing the work because it's now more of a collaborative exercise. People know that they've got to work for home for a whole set of different reasons, but therefore they're way more flexible. And not only that, but the employers, you know, the amount of conference calls, Zoom calls that I've seen where you've got kids jumping up and down or bouncing around, the tolerance of what you would call business has changed. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you know, this is it. I, I try not to, but you know. Well, you and I, you, you and I were on a call together not so long ago with one of our partners, and my four-year-old son had a total meltdown in the background, and everybody laughed, didn't they? <laughs> exactly. They, it's they, just it, exactly that. A, a new a new thing, hasn't it? A new trope that we have to deal with, you know. And, and I think yeah. that, that that gives us a lovely little bit of comedy moments through the day that, you know, you just don't expect, but you just take it on board now and people accept it. And I think that's really been, you know, a nice part of actually doing what we've gone through. You know, I mean, Michael was plugging in cables for Tim, one of our engineers, and, you know, Michael was sending him pictures of, am I plugging this in the right, <laughs> you know, that type of workflow. And there's nothing wrong with it. And it was so understanding. It was just like, which one? Take a picture. Uh, perfect. It was, it was instantaneous. There's a picture of my switch and with my finger in front of the port. That, and, and, you know, so you send the picture, this one, and then you get a reply back saying, yeah, so it, it works. It's sort of. Well, it's, it's interesting support in this current day and age where we do have, like, you know, image, sending an image. Uh, yeah. Not long ago, it would have been such a, oh, yeah, this might take a while to figure out. But, you know, using Zoom or using TeamViewer, we can be on somebody's machine guiding them through, even if not, we're not typing out the commands. We're, you know, we've got so many different ways to access machines and, you know, out-of-band management on servers and things. It's, uh, the technology is so amazing that's enabling us to even do the support stuff, let alone the remote work that Michael's workers are doing. Yeah, interesting. Well, look, guys, that's um, I think that's about all we've got time for. Um, that's been a really interesting discussion. I think we've we've covered pretty much everything that that topic has to offer. I hope. Um, just just remains for me to say thank you to both Lee and Rob for their contributions, and a very very special thank you to Michael. Michael, thank you very much. Um, I hope you've enjoyed listening. Uh, please, if you are interested in any of the technology that we've been discussing, see the links below, and we look forward to uh, the next episode in our podcast series. Um, we hope to see you log in then. Thank you very much and goodbye.